Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm James. And every week we talk about the world of independent league baseball, from the Atlantic League to the Pecos League. So step into the batter's box, because this is the Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we're back again, episode 11. Not lucky number 11, let's go. Exactly, you can't hate number 11. Good we got a stacked show this week. So we're going to go ahead, just give you a quick rundown of what you can expect, and that way you can go ahead and scroll through the show if you find something that fancies your interest, or if you just want to hang in there for the probably hour-long ride, then you'll just know what's coming. So, we got the Atlantic League, they're pushing some of their changes back, and that's going to be the first thing up. Then we're going to talk about some of the new pitchers that are in the Atlantic League this year. Then we're going to go and move on to our Can-Am League bit, Ooh, namely yeah. the proposed expansion that they put out today, right before we came on, so that was a very good timing on that. Uh, then we'll also talk about the Can-Am League camp, we'll move on to some other various things after that, so... Expect after the Can-Am League stuff, us to just go into a kind of rapid fire, because there's a bunch of things here that were necessary. Yeah, we're going to a lightning round, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> exactly, and not only that, towards the end of the show, we'll also give you a breakdown of next week's Atlantic League preview, being that it's a week before opening day. We're finally at that point where we'll get to talk hard baseball. We're getting there. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. All right, let's go. Exactly. So let's get this started with the Atlantic League rule changes. The Atlantic League announced on Wednesday they're delaying some of the rule changes they made in the offseason. The first one they're announcing they're going to move back is the auto umpires or the robo um whatever you mean. It's just the assisted strike zone using the computer as opposed to an umpire. So the original plan was to use the uh, assisted strikes on, on opening day. However, they have now announced it will be gradually worked in throughout the season. And uh, so they were just postponing that. Let's discuss that before we get to the other ones. Yeah, I mean, that's a smart move. I, you know, I think any of these rule changes are difficult. The uh, fans have a certain expectation of what they're going to see with the game of baseball. And if they're not, that expectation isn't lived up to. It's going to be really challenging. So I think this is a good move just to... You know, give give everybody some time and uh, give the players some time, give the fans some time to adjust to these type of things, and then integrate it throughout the season so it kind of becomes commonplace uh, as well. Yep, I think that's definitely it. In addition to that, I think some of the uh, stadiums were probably having some troubles installing all that. Yeah, that makes sense. So you can't just put it into ballpark A, B, and C and just tell the other five tough, you know, yeah. you're not going to get <laughs> yeah. that. High Point's still putting in their outfield walls. Mm -hmm. I'm sure York's finishing up some of their little renovations that they've been doing for the entirety of the offseason. Amongst other things, I'm sure some ballparks had some troubles with that or just kind of working through it. So. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, definitely. Then also, you want to make sure it's phased in correctly. Yeah, I think that's a, another really important point is not only does it need to be phased in kind of gradually for fans, but also needs to be phased in correctly because if it's not phased in correctly then what's the point you know <laughs> exactly it's the kind of thing that when you make a change like that you need to make sure it's done right otherwise you're going to have major backlash from it oh yeah, yeah. And so we'll move on now to the second and probably largest change here and was the most controversial rule change no doubt yeah yep and the mound being moved back has now been moved back itself it's been <laughs> moved back 12 months so instead of uh the 2019 midpoint having the mound go to 62 and a half, it will be the 2020 midpoint. So we have an extra year on that. 
probably is a... I say it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I think it's also a stall tactic. I don't think this happens at any point. I think... Uh, I don't know if it really gets instituted. I think if the Atlantic League is smart, they keep pushing it back every year, you know. Uh, just because I don't know if this is a, a rule that is safe for the players of the Atlantic League. Um, I don't know if the mound is moving the mound back would be safe for the pitchers of the Atlantic League. It feels like it would put more, uh, a lot more stress on their arm, uh, as we've discussed multiple times uh, on this show. So I, I think, you know, moving it back, at least for now, is a good move. Because it allows the, the players to get used to it and have a whole off season to train for it if it does, in fact, become uh, an actual rule. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's it, too. I think it's also partially you're getting so close to the season. And as we're saying now, and as we're about to discuss, now is when you see a lot of these pitchers start to sign. So I think they may have had some problem with that. Uh, just having people get convinced onto it and not knowing how it's going to be implemented. I think having that extra time, to, once again, similar to uh, the, op- the robo-ump, just make sure you know how you're going to put this in. And I agree, I don't think it's a... I kind of am skeptical that it's actually going to be put in just because of the backlash that's faced at every step here. I have a feeling that Major League Baseball is going to be like, it's one of those, it's on you to pick. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the Atlantic League will have the ability to kind of take a look at it and see if this is something they want to do. Mm-hmm. And if it's not something that they long-term think will be good for the health of the league, because I, I certainly don't, um, but if they if they look at it and they don't think it's going to be uh, good for the long-term health of the league, I don't think it happens. You know, I think they, I think they're starting to have a second thought on that one. The rest of them, I think, are yeah, negligible the at best. Fine, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the ones where I could see Major League Baseball forcing that on them. And saying you're doing this or you're violating the terms. Yeah, I can see that too. Or, you know, and that's not doing it. I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Because this time next year, we may still have this same conversation about it being, oh, this is a stupid decision. Why are you doing this? Just don't do it at all. Yeah. So, plus, I think this is the only time you can move it back before canceling it. If you go 2020, go, well, it's not going to be 2020. It's going to be 2021. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> exactly. Because now you're just going ahead and. And I think you're alienating fans at that point because you've said, it's going to be this. And then you went, no, it's not. So I think you're going to start uh, messing with people's expectations, and that's never a good thing. No, no, it's certainly not. Yeah, I, I just don't know. You can't move it back again, uh, like you're saying, unless no. you have intentions of canceling it after you move it back again. Exactly. Like, the only thing I can think of that they could change this from would be if they changed it from starting at 2020 midpoint to 2020 opening day. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm I'm starting to think maybe that'd be a better option. Probably, yeah, because, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the midpoint thing is really what scared a lot of the pitchers away or, mm. or scared them enough to have serious concerns because you have to go from pitching at one distance and, and pitching to another distance, so there's health things in there, but also there's a quality of play issue because how are you going to go from having having one typical a way that you play the game to having a different one entirely. In point, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. the quality of play will be a lot less. Yeah, plus it's one thing if you start the season with the mound back, because then if you just move forward, you just have more velocity on it. So it's, you know, yeah, I've kind of come around on this. Cool, that bulb's dying. It's the ghost bulb from last week for all the re- returning <laughs> listeners. Continuing with the Atlantic League, rather, we got some pitcher signings. Long Island signed about three of these guys, and New Britain signed two. They're going to be the guys we focus on here. And so, let's get started with the biggest name of the bunch. Long Island finally signed their, I guess, showcase selection, John Neese. Uh, we're going to run through a stat line real quick, and then we'll go from there. 
So he's played in 211 Major League Baseball games, starting 197 of them, a record of 68-69, and 69, an ERA of 4.07, three complete games, two shutouts, 914 Ks, and just a shade under 1,200 innings pitched. Eight years in the Major Leagues with the New York Metropolitans and the Pittsburgh Pirates. And according to manager Wally Backman, he looks to add Nice to add a veteran leadership presence in the clubhouse. Now, this is already adding Nice onto a very veteran-heavy team, and as we're going to see in the next two signings here, a lot of these guys are in like their early 30s, late 20s. It seems like veterans are not the problem they're going to have here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the point of the roster that they're building. It seems to be very much a, we want experienced guys who know what they're doing, who can really, you know, fit into the culture that they're trying to build there. So I think I, I do, like I said last week, I do like the signing. I think he's big time. I think for especially for the Atlantic League, he can be really big time. He can be a big name. Um, he brings some uh, you know essence of star power with him. And I also just think that while he struggled a little bit in his time with the Mets and he was kind of frustrating, he always had good stuff. Uh, so I mean, I think if he can kind of come down and figure that out for him, he may also get another look, another maybe a second chance. Um, not necessarily an MLB, but an affiliated ball if he so chose to go that route. Yep, no, I definitely agree with that. I think he's definitely going to work out good in Long Island. I think my main concern about this signing is how it affects the Ducks in the sense of their roster construction, because I know a lot of leagues, including the Atlantic League, have uh, roster minimums and maximums on uh, veteran players and things like that, so I'm not sure how their roster is going to shake out. So that's going to be interesting to see with them there. Uh, they're, certain, they're certainly rounding out their team, with a lot of former Major League talent, and I mean, it's definitely going to position them well, and we'll go into more detail about them individually next week when we go to the preview, but they're definitely positioning themselves to go back to a championship game. Yeah, I can see that. I can see them returning to the championship, um, but I don't know if necessarily it's going to work as a uh, you know long-term solution here. I think one of the things we've got to look at with the Ducks is it can be very uh, beneficial to have that, these veteran guys in for a year or two, but once we get to the next season, um, the season after that, you know, you're going to have a completely different roster, and so it, it, while it's going to work in the short term, these guys aren't going to be there for two, three years. It's going to be one one year for a lot of these guys and done, and oftentimes that is the way in the Atlantic League, but if you see the really good teams like the Patriots, they're able to continue to have the talent, and so are, so are the Ducks. They're usually able to keep a certain uh, number of returning players so, you know, we'll see how that works out for the Ducks. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. That's a good point that you brought up with the roster turnover. I could see them having a lot more roster turnover with these veteran guys. Because I don't really see, like, the John Nieces, Den Deckers, New and Heists of the World staying there for two, three years. Uh, if you have a younger kid that's, like, fresh out of college or only a year or two removed, maybe they just got released from affiliated ball for the first time. I could see them staying for a year or two and kind of working it out. Yeah, I agree I, don't, I just don't really see them... Uh, you know, doing all the bouncing around stuff. I see them going, we're going to try this for one year. If it doesn't work out, then we're going to find something else to do. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no way that these bigger bigger names, who could probably easily be playing an affiliated ball right now, um, who, are, who are just trying to get their stock up as to maybe, you know, catapult yeah. themselves into higher echelons of affiliated ball or getting another major league look, um, you know, they're not going to be really gung-ho to kind of sit there for two or three years and try to, you know, rebuild a exactly. career at, in their mid to late 30s. Exactly. Yeah. No, they're there to get some tape and to get just updated stats to go, look at what I can do. You could try your shot at a kid that you have, or you could just go with what you know. 
Yep. So we'll move on now to the second signing from Long Island, Tim Alderman. 44 games played, 33 games started, 9 and 15 career record, an ERA just a shade below 5, 155 career strikeouts, and 192 innings pitched. That is over two years in the major leagues with Cincinnati and St. Louis. He also is added for bullpen versatility. And he has bounced around the independent leagues. He's played some time with uh, Somerset and with uh, in the American Association, things like that. Yep. And he was acquired, along with the following guy we're going to talk about in just a second, from New Jersey at the Can-Am League via trade. It was just for future considerations. So, everybody's favorite player, future considerations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is another smart move. Anytime you can add bullpen depth, uh, especially in a league, like uh, the Atlantic League, where you know it's probably more of a hitters league than it is a pitchers. Uh, you're gonna have a lot of a lot of guys coming in and add a lot of arms to players used in games. Uh, so I like this for to shore up the bullpen for the Ducks, and uh, you know it's it's a it's a smart move. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's important in a league like the Atlantic League to have guys that can play or throw in three different situations. You know, yeah, you need a guy that can start one day and then two days later be in the bullpen to give you an inning or two, just due to the structure of Major League Baseball and that, or not Major League, Minor League Baseball, I guess, you know, you don't have uh, three farm teams to call up if you need (laughs) an arm on an emergency basis, you know, so you need a guy that can just throw a bunch of innings in a short period of time and is not a specialist, so I definitely like that, it's important there, plus another veteran arm here, which, another thing I think I just thought of here, with all these veteran guys here, I wonder how that's going to start to go towards the end of the year. Yeah, I mean that could be that could be a major issue. Uh, they could really lose a lot of what they're uh, what they're they're doing there. I mean, you, you think about a lot of the guys; they could be get fatigued pretty early on. I mean, you're talking about you know older players and who who have enough wear and tear on them already that can really slow down at the end of the season. And also, you know, not even just that, you could also see a lot of guys leave because they got contracts elsewhere. So I mean, you you know, you could really have your roster decimated. Exactly. Like, I, that's the thing. I'm going to be concerned come playoff time for them. I understand the Atlantic League season's nowhere near as strenuous as a major league season. Sure, right. But still, it's it takes a toll on you throwing however many innings. Yeah. Regardless of what league it is, you know, 100 innings is still 100 innings. Mm-hmm, no doubt. Yep, especially because it's going to be in a far more condensed time frame than, you know, most other leagues. Right, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that is something that, you know, uh, general managers in the, in the Can-Am League and the Atlantic League especially have to you know, be wary of is because you're playing so many games in a short period of time. How do these guys hold up? And, you know, John Neese did have a little bit of an injury history uh, himself when he was with the Mets. And uh, so I can see, uh, you know, there's a, there'd be a, a problematic, there could be a problematic uh, way in which this unfolds. However, you know, I'm sure the optimistic side to that is, yeah, but if it works, you're going to have a guy who's a former MLB pitcher and who had a lot of good games, a lot of good mm-hmm. starts. Uh, under his belt in major leagues, you know, doing that for your team uh, at the Atlantic League level. So that would be, you know, obviously the pro and con there. They, you know, exactly. You're, you're it's a lot of dice, the Ducks. They really are. Yeah, it's a lot of risk-reward with him. We'll go ahead and go on to the second guy acquired in the trade with the Jackals, Vin Mazzaro. He has 140 major league games. 45 of them were started 24-23. That's his record. 4.79 ERA. He does have one save. Only one. So, a bit odd. Uh, 233 strikeouts and 338 innings pitched. He had eight seasons of Major League experience. Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Oakland, Miami, and San Fran. 
another veteran arm, 31 years old, uh, utility guy in the pen, and he played indie ball for Somerset in 2017 and a little bit last year with the Jackals. That will do all the Long Island guys, but let's talk about Vin before we move on to New Britain. Yeah, I mean, you know, Vin is a, is a, is another good acquisition. Um, like you said, pitched a little bit for the Jackals last year. Uh, knows indie ball kind of the same way as Alderman. Uh, so, I mean, you've know, you got two guys who are veterans. They can w- make their way onto a starting staff, maybe, like you were saying, for some games. Hmm. And also probably going to be more likely to be used out of the pen. Not bad uh, in terms of pickup. But, again, you know, very much you know, in the mold of pick- getting veteran guys and hmm. using those veteran guys. <clears throat> I know a lot of teams wind up going more that younger route and then having veteran guys to kind of guide them. So I mean, I think it's interesting to see. We'll, we'll see how it works out. I mean, either the Ducks are going to be really good and all these veteran arms are going to you know really help them, or you're going to see guys like this kind of tear off toward the end of the season or leave. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you've got to see what happens. But I, I think the Ducks have put themselves in good position with these trades and signings, but I also think you've got to be wary of where they go from here. Exactly. As long as they're able to win the first half of the year in the league, they will secure that playoff spot, or Agreed. one of them. Yeah. So I do think they have that under control at the yeah, moment. definitely. As long as it works out. Of right, of course. Uh, yeah. But it, once again, just the heavy veteran presence here, There comes. there's only so many you could have. Yeah, no doubt. And so I'm just stacking your team with all of them. It's a bit sketchy, and it's just hard to judge pitchers in independent leagues, especially like Vin. Because he pitched well, but the numbers just won't reflect that, just because it's a hitter's kind of game at right. this level. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to see, kind of hard to judge here. But uh, overall, I like those three acquisitions. I think they really strengthen their uh, their pitching staff. And I think there's definitely at least two starters, two regular starters amongst them there. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Yeah. So we'll go now to New Britain who has a pair of signings themselves. I want my free peanuts. We're still after those free peanuts, New Britain. (laughs) We demand peanuts. We'll go to Anthony Marza. He does not have any major league experience, but he does have 92 affiliated league games, 42 of which were started, 18 wins, 3.25 ERA, 234 strikeouts, and 324 innings pitched. Like I said, no major league experience, but he does have three years of Atlantic League experience Mm -hmm. and spent time in the Minnesota and Yankee farm system. He was just re-signed from last year, so these fans, you are somewhat familiar with Anthony Marza. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good signing. Like we were talking about with uh, Long Island, I think there's a a good good thing that happens when you re-sign guys, especially in the Atlantic League because it's a different league than like anywhere else you could play in terms of affiliated ball. So to have guys who have experience playing in the Atlantic League is really important, um, and I think he's a you know he's a good good talent. He has good numbers within affiliated ball. It's just sometimes you know you, you don't get the call, you don't get the opportunity, and uh, I think it's a good opportunity for him to go back to New Britain and you know pitch well and do the same thing they did last year. Exactly, having experience in a league like this is helpful. Obviously, you're going to see a lot of turnover in any independent league, in any real minor league, you're going to see heavy yeah. turnover, mm-hmm. but. Still knowing a lot of the guys that are going to still be here and being familiar with the system does help an awful lot. Plus, I feel like he could be a very good help for guys that are just coming into the organization just to kind of help them get along and kind of assimilate with the team well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned he had the numbers, but my real question is, does he have the grit and the intangibles to go along with it? I mean, his athleticism is unmatched, but, you know, it's 
I kind of got to wonder about that, you know? Yeah, well, we'll have to see the, the uh, grit and intangibles moving forward. I mean, maybe the, uh, especially the intangibles, I mean, obviously that is a lot of what brings us up to, uh, you know, yeah. brings ta- guys up to the major leagues is, is having those intangibles and those things that you can't teach. And maybe he's he's lacking on, on those. Yeah. Um, and in terms of grit, we'll, we'll have to see this season. We'll have to, have to wait and see. Of course. I always got to have the wait-and-see approach on any player, but especially on pitchers. Yep. So we'll go now to the final real major signing of the week in the Atlantic League, uh, Jose Rosario. He is also a minor league pitcher. He spent his whole career in the Cubs organization, 10 years. Uh, he pitched 176 games, 28 wins, 4.84 ERA, 17 saves, 440 Ks, and 509 innings pitched. To me, he seems like an awful lot like a... Uh, Kind of a long reliever type. That's what I kind of gather here. He spent all of last year in AAA, and he was New Britain's pick in the showcase, so he finally came to terms with them. So he's an interesting player. Yeah, I mean, he's a lifer minor league guy, um, and I like those kind of guys because they often can bring a lot of good experience and unique experience to a ball club and help them to win not just uh, on the field but in the clubhouse, which is also extremely important, especially if we're talking about uh, younger teams or teams that just in general need that veteran presence, that guy who's been around. I mean, a 10 years, 10 years in the minor leagues, is, is especially in the affiliated ball, is a strenuous, hard thing. You're riding on the bus, you know, to all these different places, and, and I think to have that, um, to have that grit. Yeah, you def- said, I was about to say, that's the grit. I mean, to do that yeah, for 10 years. To have that grit to do that for 10 years, that is a, that's a special player. I think there's a special personality. Obviously, he might be lacking some of those intangible things that we can't. Yeah, and, uh, and the numbers are certainly lacking right, a bit. Right, the numbers are lacking a bit. Um, but I, I think overall, uh, this is a good signing just to be able to give a guy like this a shot. Um, I, I love it when guys like this get a chance. And really, you know, I think it'll be overall good for their clubhouse, even if on the field he's not as um, prolific as other pitchers. He's still going to be really good for their clubhouse and their overall uh, influence in there. Uh, organization. Yeah, no, definitely. I gotta agree with that. I think he's the exact kind of player you look for in an Atlantic League. And the kind of guy that's, well, he looks like a step below quadruple A guy. He's a definition of a triple A kind of guy. He can go, he's a long man, so he could be a starter, he could be a bullpen guy. He's the exact kind of guy you want to build your team around. He obviously has the determination to keep trying and keep going for it. So you gotta appreciate that in a guy. Definitely gonna be good for a locker room type personality. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I know I made some note of him last week when we were going through some of the uh, guys that were signed, but now we finally got to highlight him, and I thought he was the definition of a guy that I'm waiting to see if he can finally get that one breakout, because he's never had that breakout year that you need to get your shot. Yeah, I think if he does have that breakout year, you might see him on on a major league roster. You could see him on a major league roster if he has that breakout year, because he certainly has the experience and the type of personality that you want in your clubhouse. So if he does have a really good year, you never know where the chips fall at the end of the day. Of course. So then, and then I just noticed before we started recording, uh, Felipe Polino signed in Sugarland. Don't have much on that right now. But uh, he does have some history with the Kansas City Royals. He was a uh, major league guy for a bit. Definitely will add a lot to Sugarland. We'll talk more about him next week when we do Sugarland's preview as part of the whole Atlantic League preview, which I just want to remind people that will be next week's show. We'll go through each of the teams because I think right now is a pretty good time to kind of give a breakdown what that's going to be coming off the really last Atlantic League story we got for today. Yep. Uh, the general plan for now 
is to just kind of recap the offseason with you. Any major announcements in the league, we'll go through that real quick. Then we'll do an overview of each of the teams. We won't go into terribly much detail just because time reasons to go into a lot of detail on each team. It would take way too much time. <laughs> so look for, say, the YouTube channel to have deep dives on each of these teams. Yeah. So we'll do a breakdown of each of the teams. We'll give you our predictions on how each of the teams will do this year, awards at the end of the year, and just that general thing. We'll preview the league, give our predictions, and then leave you off with that. So that will be next week's show for y'all. And then we may also toss in some news in our usual bit, but expect the main focus of the show to just be previewing the league that does have its first pitch on the 25th. Oh, yeah, we're getting close. How about that? Exactly. We're getting there, and most of those team tryouts are this week upcoming, so we're going to know all the rosters probably by by the time we record, hopefully, but, you know. With any luck. (laughs) Exactly. So, let's see. We could go on to the Atlantic League stuff, which is some big stuff, the their expansion news and Can other League, stuff. Yeah. Can League? Okay, so then we'll put the uh, we'll put the seventh inning at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go yeah. ahead and alright, so let's hit the expansion news first because that's uh it's bigger news. I think it's more fun to talk about too, especially after coming off a player breakdown. Yep. The general overview of this before we get into the real nitty gritty of it, uh there was the owners meeting for the Can Am League, so every Can Am League team owner was in Orlando this week. They discussed all league matters and the usual jazz at one of these meetings. And they agreed to a couple of things. The first expansion is they're expanding the roster from twenty two players to twenty three players. This was done to just create more opportunity for players and to help prevent injuries for players because if you have twenty two guys, you know, you can't have as large of a pitching staff or and guys just got to play through things that you otherwise wouldn't want them to have to play through. So it's partially done for that, and also just roster flexibility. It helps a lot. And the salary cap has been adjusted accordingly to that. And confirmation from the Atlantic League as to when that bit will take effect. It will be this season. That was confirmed on Twitter. They told us this, so you can check our Twitter, at IndieBallPod. The salary cap will go up this year to accommodate that extra player on each roster. But to the actual fun news now, there's also been a motion put in place to expand the league. So they're, yeah. they're actively now seeking investors and ownership groups and venues and everything that goes into that now. It will be Kevin Wynn, the executive director of the Can-Am League, that will oversee and handle this process. They're really just kind of in a discovery phase right now, trying to find everything and get leads as to where to go about and everything uh, there's no real date mentioned, there's no real teams, like how many are going to be added mentioned. Given that they're a six-team league, it gives you the luxury of saying we'll add two or we'll add one. I would imagine one is definitely going to happen, two if they find another strong group, but I don't think they're going to force it at this time. Yeah, I agree with that. I think they're going to add, they'll probably only add one team. Uh, if they do add two, it'll be kind of consecutive, it'll be one one year, and then one maybe like a, a Road Warriors type of team yeah, and as the, in that eighth spot, and then one the, the next year. Um, and the other thing that I think would happen once we, we're going to get into locations here in a minute of where these teams could go is they need to find a really good investors group. If there's anything we've learned from our AAF rant last week is yeah. that a good investors group with someone who's really, really committed to the team and to the league as a whole, um, that is going to be very important. And the Can-Am League has done a good job with that uh, in the past, and I think they'll continue to do so. Exactly. I could see that going well. Obviously, they've had some difficulties in the past, but... 
That's going to happen with any young league. Sure. Now they've definitely gotten much stronger, much better. We'll have a quote in just one second from Kevin Wynn himself. But uh, as we've seen in other leagues, looking over at the Pacific Association, yeah. and as we'll talk about in the rapid fire round, they've lost teams at an astounding rate this year. And obviously the problems with Martinez shows you need to have a really strong ownership base. If you don't have the investors, you don't have everything in place, then it's just not going to work. And to put a team in to have it fail a year or two later is not good for anybody. It's a bad job by the ownership. It looks bad in the league. It's bad for the fans. It's bad for the players. So I really do hope they kind of take their time with it. There's absolutely no rush here. They can keep doing these six teams a year and the two traveling or the two uh, kind of gimmicky teams, I suppose they are, right, with yeah. the national teams. And everyone will still be happy with that. I'm just looking forward to seeing where these are going to go. I agree. So let's go ahead and just get into the quote here from Kevin Wynn. Right now, the Can-Am League is stronger than ever. With a steadily growing reputation for attracting talent and an exciting brand of baseball in our markets, now is the time to implement expansion plans to grow our North American footprint. It's just saying the league is very healthy, very strong. It's everything we already knew. Obviously, if you're not in a good spot, expanding teams is not a good option. Yeah, not, not, not a good idea if you're uh, in debt. Too bad. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's the blueprint for every failed league. You just look for how quickly they expanded to try and inject money immediately in and then watch a year later as they kind of willowed and died. And I, I think that that shows the pragmatism of the Can-Am League being able to just operate with six teams, kind of wait it out a little bit, hmm. and now they make a really good move. I think they're going to go to Atlantic City. That's my hot take coming up. Uh, <laughs> if they make that good move there, I think they're going to be in a really good position uh, moving forward. Exactly. And so now we'll go ahead and touch on the Atlantic City bit with the second quote. As we set our sights on growing, we feel it's only fitting to expand our rosters and rise and raise the salary cap. We are in ongoing talks with several promising markets in Northeast and Middle and Mid-Atlantic states. So that basically tells us they're going to keep the same footprint they've had and have historically had. They're going to target the kind of New England region, that Mid-Atlantic region that consists of Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. So expect to see someone there. So now we get into the fun part of just baseless speculation. <laughs> just ra my rapid baseless speculation. My feeling is is that Atlantic City's been trying to get a team back. The Can-Am League is looking for a team. I think it's a match made in uh, in heaven, shall we say. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a good move um, for both Atlantic City and I think the Can-Am League. Obviously, the team didn't work there the first time. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I think Atlantic City is healthier than it was uh, at the during that period of time yep. uh, financially. I think that uh, the, the Hard Rock uh, Hotel and Casino that has brought in a lot there uh, as well in Atlantic City. Um, and I think that just as an overall uh, idea, the, the Can-Am League is a much, um, you know, is, is prepared for this type of an expansion. And it's not a too big of a team where if you put it in there, it, it, you know, it, you're setting it up for failure. If you're putting a, if, just to say, if you're putting in uh, like an Atlantic League in there, you could be setting yourself up for failure. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the Can-Am League is really perfect for what the uh, Atlantic City is trying to do. You know, Atlantic City is definitely one of those options. I do like it. I definitely think it's a front-runner if they commit to doing this and do it the right way. I could see Pawtucket also being there, although, as I mentioned on Twitter, at IndieBallPod, 
there is the issue of them wanting to put an affiliated team there as opposed to an independent league team. And so with the size of that stadium, in addition to the desire of that city council and with the uh, desire of the governor, I could see that being a problem. Uh, it's just going to be hard to sell out a stadium like that and not have it look barren. Because already you see a lot of times, especially on weekday games, you have the 2,000, 4,000 seat stadiums that look like there's 100 people to like a thousand people in attendance, so they look very bearing, which yeah. obviously isn't great, and obviously you're not, uh, you know, covering expenses at that point. So to have that large of a stadium to have it that empty, appearance sake, it's not very good. Right. Plus, I mean, that stadium does need a lot of work too. So I'm not sure if that's somewhere you want to go. And that's not only concerned with Pawtucket. I saw also on one conversation I was having on Twitter, there was a location in Massachusetts that was mentioned, and then I'm, I was very interested in it. Malden, Mass. So I went ahead and decided to do some research into it real quick. And it appears they are building a brand new stadium there. It's supposed to open actually just a few days from now, actually like two days after we put this episode out. I don't really know much into it. I was only able to do a little bit of research into it a couple months before the show. But that also seems like a very interesting place. Uh, Atlantic League was talked about for their affiliated balls also talked about there, which obviously if you're competing with affiliated it's going to be a tough fight to win, especially if you're a Can-Am league. So that's one. Uh, really, though, I think Atlantic City is the location. Yeah, I think Atlantic City will ultimately be the location, although that Massachusetts um, area sounds like a good uh, idea in terms of a new ballpark. Um, if, you can get the, if the Can-Am league can find a way to get in there, that would be great for them because it's kind of halfway between a lot of those uh, New Jersey and New York teams and uh, the candidate team, so I like that idea there, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it'll exactly like you're saying with um, the, the with having an, a, an Atlantic League team and or possibly a affiliated club, you know, being uh, interested in making a move there or you know an expansion. I think that would be kind of a, a difficult thing to pull off for the Can-Am League. So overall, I I think that still the overall thing that um, will happen is they'll go to Atlantic City. Yeah, no, I think that's it too. Uh, the only concerns I have if they choose Atlantic City is, you know, Frank Fountain's been wanting to put an Atlantic League team there, being they still very closely associated to them, and he's been looking for a tenant there. Plus the soccer team, as we talked about, I believe back on episode six or seven. They're also making a play for that, too, so that may complicate things as well. So that could be a problem, yeah. but overall, I think Atlantic City just makes the most sense. Surf Stadium is like the perfect size for it. It's at a tourist destination. You could really rely on a mixture of tourist revenue and local revenue. I think it just, I think it works. Yeah, I think it works. I think that it's a smart move. I think the uh, overall help of the overall economy and the economy in Atlantic City it's a lot better. It's a lot better than, than when the team folded. Uh, so I think it really is a, a good move for the Can-Am League if they're able to put it there. Um, obviously, there's some logistical challenges that you're talking about that could complicate matters. But I do believe at the end of the day, if there is a team in Atlantic City, the residents and the people in New Jersey will go to the games. Mm. And also the tourists who are coming to Atlantic City to gamble and have a little bit of fun. Um, will go there as well. And also what I think it will do is it will, Atlantic City can use it to add an atmosphere of more family entertainment options that are in uh, okay. Atlantic City rather than what we typically have there now. So. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, It's not really a kid-friendly place. No. <laughs> so that, that's one concern there. I know I'd also mentioned that as a location too if they lose the Muck Dogs because that was kind of touch and go a little bit ago. Yeah. I'm not sure where that's at. That could be something there, but 
If uh, Wynn's right and they've already been talking with places, i got to assume Batby is not on the table. Yeah, probably not. Other places we were kind of thinking about could potentially be interesting is maybe somewhere in Delaware. Like maybe a Rehoboth Beach type area. That would be very interesting in a Rehoboth Beach area. Um, you also have the, the Cape May Luz Ferry that goes mm. over. So you'll get all the tourist uh, attractions not only to Delaware, but probably from Cape May you go catch a day game and then you come back on ferry. Um, or even a, an afternoon even a, night game. Yeah, like, it wouldn't be that bad. I mean, it's a short ferry ride. Yeah, it's a short ferry ride. It's a, it's a, that would be a smart move to put it in, in Delaware. Um, I think that would be, that would be even as good, if not better, than Atlantic City. Um, just because of all the different You're, types of people you can have go there. Exactly. There's still a lot of families there. I think that could be something that'd be interesting. Obviously, a ballpark would be needed. I'm yeah. not sure exactly <laughs> what that situation's like. Obviously, uh, yeah. when that this news came down today, there's not much research we had time to do. Right. But that was one of those locations. I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, other locations that would be interesting, uh, you know, you could explore... Um, areas in northwestern New Jersey, uh, obviously the, the miners kind of have that cornered, but there's still a lot of areas in there, and, and also that eastern Pennsylvania region would also be good. There's a couple of good areas in that area that there's not a whole lot of baseball. Uh, yeah. Outside Lancaster, um, Harrisburg, and York, there's nothing in that really eastern part of it. Well, they also have the Iron Pigs that are affiliated, right, too. Right, the Iron Pigs that are there, but... Um, certainly within that like eastern Pennsylvania region, there's not a whole ton mm-hmm. um, in that area. So that's a good area to look. I do I do think uh, northwest New Jersey, eastern Philly would be interesting. Mm-hmm. But certainly, I think most importantly, New England. A New England team would work out well for the purposes of the Can-Am League. Just because, like I said before, you can go from Canada, the Canada teams can bus to the New England team, and then down to... The New Jersey team exactly makes it easy to do that. Nice and easy to do that, and you don't have to worry about, um, you know, and go back, and so you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, all the travel. It makes logistically, it makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, I think that could be something that happens as well. I think that's also a good point to consider there. Uh, I'm trying to think of other locations in addition to that. I mean, West Virginia is an option with the new ballpark they're building at Marshall. Yeah, you're right. The the new ballpark they're building at Marshall University could be. Could be big time. I mean, uh, I think that that could be something they, they look into. However, it is a little bit out of the way for the Can-Am League. Mm-hmm. But in, if we're talking about expansion, that's a good way to expand. You're still in your market. You're still in your region, per se, but you're branching out a little bit. And I, I do like that idea. And also, obviously, if they're building a brand-new, really nice facility on a, a beautiful campus like Marshall, it's something worth looking into. And Huntington is a nice, uh, nice city there in West Virginia. Yeah, I think that's definitely it. I think that's kind of the out there choice is Huntington, West Virginia. I also kind of could see, I'm trying to think of other ones that are kind of a bit out there that could be there. Because obviously Atlantic City, Pawtucket, those are the obvious ones. But uh, being that, unless you have any other kind of out there ones, I think we've kind of exhausted this topic. So yeah, we, can, <laughs> we can move on now to the Can-Am League tryouts here. And then from there we'll pick what we want and go immediately to a lightning round to keep this kind of... Uh, a shorter episode, I guess, which is already kind of going long, or if we want to go to a seventh inning stretch quick. So either way, we got to deal with the Can-Am League first. So they had their tryouts. 138 players tried out. This was April 2nd and 3rd. And you had scouts from the Diamondbacks, the Rays, Shikoku Island, which they'll be playing this year as a Japanese team. And they had a bunch of Frontier League scouts in attendance without schemes. And the Let's see, six players that were selected to teams were as follows. First overall, to your Ottawa champions, Ricky Reese, he's a pitcher. Second overall, to your New Jersey Jackals, 
Chris Moda, also a pitcher. Third overall, another pitcher to the Trey Rivier Eagles, Derek Martin. The Boulders at fourth took Westcar De Leon. He's an infielder, so he finally broke the pitcher streak. The Quebec Capitals took Brendan Beauchard, who's a catcher. And the last pick went to your defending champion, Sussex County Myers. Oh, baby. Justin Corteris, he is a pitcher, so he is the final selection there. Uh, good weekend for them. Um, not weekend's middle of the week, but a good week for them. You know, yeah. solid tryouts. I'm sure they got a lot of looks. I'm sure a lot of those guys that aren't part of the six that were named will be signing in the Frontier League. I'm yeah. sure of it. Yeah, I'm sure about that. And I think it's a good thing um, for the Can-Am League. You know, uh, if we're talking about the health of the league wanting to expand, these tryouts are, you know, showing that if you could have 138 players show up, it's a good start. Exactly. It's definitely good. Uh, they already have a lot of roster players already on. Yep. So the fact you got some guys signed there is definitely good. And I'm sure a lot of the guys, too, that don't wind up on the Frontier League or on the uh, Can-Am League right now, They'll wind up there later on in the year when you start seeing, you know, the in-season transactions. Yep. So, I think that's all there is to say about that. There's really not terribly much to go into with them. They didn't release much information, and that's because they decided to hit us with an expansion bomb the next day. <laughs> so, we're at about 40 minutes in. Do we want to do a seven-thing stretch, or just do a rapid fire? We'll do a lightning round, and we'll get out of here. Alright, so, no seventh inning for y'all today. Even into baseball, we're staying focused. Alright, so... Actually, still staying in the Can-Am League. Uh, Doug Simonick is now the head of player procurement for them. 21 years of experience and with the Fargo-Moorhead team in the American Association. He was their manager. Really the only manager they had in the team's history. He was replaced by Jim Bennett. And we talked about that episode 8 or 9, I believe, so check that out. Yep. And he has a terrific record. Just over 1,200 wins, 1,202 and 839 losses, so it's very, a very strong record for him. He also had some experience managing Winnipeg back in 93, and I think this is a terrific addition for them because it helps out with rookie manager Sebastian Bouchard. Yeah, it's a good addition, the guy who's got a lot of experience, really smart guy, um, and you know, obviously he knows a lot about baseball, uh, so it makes a lot of sense uh, to do that as well. Yeah, no, I definitely like that move, plus he's going to bring in a lot of solid guys. So now we go on now to the Milkman's delay. Yeah, moving on. The Milkman is not delivering. Uh, so due to weather uh, delays in construction, the Milkman will open at Kokomo Municipal Stadium in Kokomo, Indiana. Uh, this will be uh, only be the first five home series. Um, the new opener for the uh, for routine field will be uh, June 24th against the Gary Railcats. Uh, and so Kokomo, Indiana, obviously for those uh, listening from the area, is a nice, uh, nice area, and it'll be a good uh, thing. You know, municipal field is um, municipal stadium is, is an interesting uh, stadium. It's not quite what the new Milkman Stadium will be, but it's certainly something that uh, is helpful to. Yeah, no, it's it's not so unfortunate though to see them uh, having to not open their new field just due to construction delays. It's not very great. Plus, it's five series. I mean, that's yeah. it's a it's a long <laughs> bit there. I mean, it gets bumped back to June twenty fourth as opposed to what was it like the beginning of May? Right. It's yeah. supposed to. So it's a it's a long delay. It's unfortunate, but you know you got to make sure it's done right and that the first time you present the ballpark to the public and to a game, it looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't go in there and have have the ballpark in disarray and not constructed 
finished constru- being constructed, yeah, that, that wouldn't work. Next thing up, Zando to manage. The Texas Airhawks have hired Chris Bando to manage their club. He has nine years of Major League Baseball playing experience. He played them all in the AL, 81 to 89. Ten years of affiliated ball experience with the Milwaukee and Cleveland systems. And he has been on a staff for, 10, or for 11 years, by mistake. He was a third base coach and a bench coach for Milwaukee for three years. A pro scout for the Brewers and the Diamondbacks for a short period of time. Love this hire for the Air Hogs. You got a guy that has experience in the field. He knows what he's doing. He was even voted most or one of the best managing prospects back in the 90s. So I really do like this guy. I think he's going to really do a good job and help the Air Hogs compete for a championship this year. Oh, no doubt. Great hire. Good move. Uh, smart baseball guy, as you're saying. A ton of experience. I mean, obviously, his experience is something we're, we're seeing as a catalyst. Um, for a lot of these guys getting hired, uh, we see it over and over again. This guy has plenty of experience to go around. Exactly. I really like this move for him. No doubt. So moving on now to the Pacific Pro League Troubles. Uh, the Pittsburgh Diamonds will be on hiatus in 2019. Uh, plan, they do plan to return in 2020, but the ownership cited low league attendance and operating costs as the reason for the hiatus. Uh, Selena Stockade of the Pecos League will replace them. Uh, the Pack Pro is now down to five teams, including the Salinas Arcade. Um, and Salina will be made up of its Can-Am Pecos League roster, um, plus you know, players from two tryouts that they have in May. And so I hear, what we see here again is just the Pack Pro League really having troubles. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. They're a, they're, it's a good league. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's obviously a little bit smaller than other leagues that we typically routinely talk about. But it's unfortunate that they're they're not getting off the ground. And anytime you have league, uh, have teams taking a break, going on hiatus, that is really bad. It's never a good sign, um, and it's a sign that the overall health of the league is really deteriorating. Obviously, we've talked about it with Martinez no longer having a team, and now them uh, shutting down for a little bit of time. This could really be an issue. Yeah, no, I, it's just like the Pac Pro League. It seems like they took the book and then there were none to heart a little too much <laughs> because. There were start. They started with six, and then there were five, and then there were four, right. and now you're bringing in Selena as a trampling team, which that's actually good for Selena. They may finally actually win a game instead of having to travel around, you know, Maybe. <laughs> you know, like the American Association, then get beaten and win two games to yeah. travel around the Can-Am League to not win a game. It's not good. You obviously don't like seeing this. This is the kind of thing that signals the bad health and bad times in a league like that. Uh, I would expect to see some sort of statement from uh, Theo Fightmaster about the future coming at some point soon. I mean, you can't keep losing teams here. Obviously, you can't just keep throwing Selena in there as a fifth team. Uh, if you want to run with four teams, that's great, but you're going to need to have a plan here, and I'm not sure how much the city of Pittsburgh is going to want the Diamonds back after saying, hey, we're good. Yeah, I mean, you know, to, to close up shop essentially for one season, it's really hard to kind of get things restarted. Oftentimes, those teams just fold after they take a hiatus. Exactly, especially when you have a team that cited low league attendance and operating costs. Well, you're going to have lower attendance when you're not there for a year. <laughs> yeah, you have to remarket yourselves and rebrand yourselves, uh, and that, that takes time, and it's not going to happen if you're closing every other year. Exactly, you just threw away about five years worth of work starting in 2014, 
you know, you don't have the kind of staying power that, like, a Jackals team or a Patriots team where if, you know, everything went wrong, and hopefully it doesn't, they had to go on hiatus for a year, they could come back and still have a sizable base. Right, everyone knows who they are and what they are in the area. Exactly, so that's just, it's a rough draw for them. The Pac Pro League keeps having a rough year from having owners go down in alleged Ponzi schemes <laughs> to having teams go on hiatus to having to get a new commissioner right in the middle of all this. Theo got a rough draw yeah, here. Yeah, you got a rough draw. You got to go bad for a Theo fight master. Yep, and he's just going to have to find a way to make it work. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that's where we're at now. And we just have one last thing here on kind of a sad and somber note. Uh, former Somerset Patriot pitcher Jeff Kennard has passed away. He died on Thursday after a battle with a rare aggressive form of cancer. He played with the team from 2010 to 2011, appearing in just over 100 games, and he was 37 years old. So, unfortunate there, and thoughts go off to the family. Yep, thoughts and prayers go out to the, the family, and uh, obviously it's a tragic situation, mm -hmm. um, and we hope that the Somerset Patriots uh, community and fans will also reach out to the family uh, mm -hmm. and hopefully help them through this uh, trying time. Yep, exactly. So, I think that just about does it, unless we want to just throw on like a thing. No, we're good. Yeah, let's, let's get out of here. Let's All right. wrap it up. All right, so then let's go ahead, just recap real quick. Next week, Atlantic League preview. Expect overview of the league, overview of the teams, and predictions of the future there. In-depth predictions will go out on the actual YouTube channel later on the following week. So it will come out on, let's see, the 20th. So expect 21, 22, 23, 24, leading up to opening day to have one or two videos about the actual deep dive of the team to come out. Indie Ball Report. You can find us on Twitter at IndieBallPod, on Instagram at IndieBallReport. You can also find us at our website, IndieBallReport.com. And, yeah, that's about all we got. We're on TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Automatic, you know, all the usual places. That's where you can find the podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, review, the usual jazz. So go ahead and do that. And uh, without further ado, don't forget to go out there and play ball.